book in the New Testament of the Bible called Acts. It comes after the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus's life. And uh, this is the story of the earliest days of the Jesus movement. Um, after Jesus died and was raised, these are like from the very beginning. Like if you think like Christianity is the largest and most diverse um, religious movement in human history. And how did it go from a, a group of 100 people to what it is today? Um, and Acts is the story of how that happened. And so tonight we're in Acts chapter 9. And um, the question that I want us to sort of put on our mind as we, as we um, ex- begin to explore this passage is, do people ever really change? Um, and... Um, if they do, how? Like, you might be thinking, I'm going to the story. You know, when we think about, do people change? Like, you might be thinking about your parents. Um, you know, we think about our parents like they're statues. Like, this is just how they are. I realized, it occurred to me the other day that when my mom was my age, I was a junior in college. And, like, I still feel very young. And, like, there's, like, a lot of change ahead. And to me, in my mind, she was just, like, the way that she was and was never going to change, you know? Um, so, like, do our parents change? Like, you might think about an ex. Like, are they going to change? Um, you might think about your roommate. You might think about ourselves. Um, can, do we ever really change? And if so, how? And this story is a story of a profound transformation in someone's life where they changed. And everything changed um, really dramatically. So, before we read, I just want to invite you to settle where you are. Um, Find your breath. Um, Come into your body. And just allow a moment of settling before we hear this word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for this space. I thank you for these sisters and brothers all gathered together. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand, that we would see you, we would see ourselves. Um, Lord, thank you that you made each person in this room and that you know each of us intimately. Um, And Lord, that you have intention for our lives. Uh, intention that is that's rooted in love. And so, Lord, um, we pray that you would welcome us into your love during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 8, lots of things are going on as this church continues to grow and is experiencing a lot of persecution. Um, things were really great at first, but uh, one of the early leaders of the church has just been murdered by religious leaders. And um, it was overseen by a man named Saul. And then we pick up in Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria, up north of Israel, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, people that followed Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's getting letters so that he can go find Christian women and men and, and shackle them and bring them to Jerusalem for trial um, and potentially for execution. 
He's already overseen the execution and arrest of many Christians. Uh, Safe to say, not a fan um, of Christianity. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Uh, I know enough to call you Lord because you're a big shining light speaking out of heaven. But he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he opened his eyes, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus, a follower of Jesus, named Ananias. Lots of people are called Saul and Paul, but no more Ananias, which is too bad. Um, Because it means beloved of the Lord. It's a good name. And uh, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So I need an Ananias to go there because he had a dream. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, which is non-Jewish people, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Now imagine you're Ananias. This dude was coming to like kill you or at at worst and at best put you in jail. And now you're showing up to his house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Of, who, of those who called upon this name. And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Um, this person, Saul, um, experiences a very profound transformation in his life. And I think in many ways, um, each of us experiences a deep longing for, to be transformed, to not just change and get slightly better or improve, but to become a different kind of being. And um, there's a, a lot of observations here. I just want to, I want to pull out a couple things 
and share them with you and see if they find resonance with you about Paul's story. And the first is that Jesus has a, a real appreciation for irony. Um, if you read the scripture, especially if you read the book of Acts, um, Jesus, it's like always set up that the, per- the last person you would think ends up being the person. Paul goes on, this person, he changed his name to Paul, which means little. And um, he ends up writing the majority of the New Testament and planting a lot of churches and suffering um, badly. But what happens to Paul, to Saul, is that he finds out that Jesus really does love his enemies. Like, imagine you were in the Order of the Phoenix. No spoilers here for Slayton, because she's still working on Harry Potter. Um, But imagine you were in the Order of the Phoenix, and you come to a meeting in the Room of Requirement, and someone's like, hey, I brought a friend. It's her first time. And her name is Bellatrix Lestrange. And you're like, that was not the person to bring to the Order of the Phoenix. Um, You know, how much it would take. Like, I love Ananias. He goes to this house. He follows the Lord. This person is an enemy of God. And like, just imagine like you're Saul. I mean, you just oversaw the murder of someone for being a Christian. And then you have this experience. Um, Jesus, like, I don't, I don't know what your experience of Jesus has been. Like, many of you I know grew up um, hearing the name of Jesus, singing about Jesus um, in churches. The thing that really marks who Jesus is and how he is is that he loves his enemies. The people that really don't like Jesus he really likes them. And he makes his enemies into his friends. And he does that by changing what's inside. I mean, like, if you've ever been um, with someone in a, in a relationship and there was a conflict, and something in you can shift, and you just know, I can't come back from this with this person. Like, we can still have a relationship, but we're never, it's never going to be the same. And sometimes there's such grief with that because you wish, I wish I could reach inside and just like take that part out or turn that switch off. But it seems beyond us. And Jesus is the only one who is capable of reaching inside of a person and changing them, of making them new on the inside. Um, And he does that because he loves us. I am a, a lover of Frozen, the movie. Um, Frozen is, uh, we're going to Tokyo in a couple weeks and we're going to visit Tokyo Disneyland. And I was very crushed to hear that later this year they're opening an Arendelle in Tokyo Disneyland, but it will not be open yet when we get there, which is very sad. But part of it, we can talk about it. Um, What I love about Frozen is what Elsa shows us about this reality of being changed from the inside. Um, Elsa is like, anytime Elsa comes across the screen, I've seen this movie literally 50 plus times. Um, I'm overcome with emotion just to experience her. And um, she, because she has this power, this beautiful power, and it plagues her. She wants so badly 
to be able to conceal it and not feel, um, put on a show. Uh, but when she does that, she hurts herself and isolates herself. And then when she embraces the power, she hurts herself and isolates herself. She can't not cause harm. And she doesn't know what there's, it's outside of her power to do anything about it until her sister offers herself as an act of true love for her. And something within her changes that everything that felt destructive and isolating and cold um, is now controlled by love. And that's exactly what happens to Paul. The beautiful thing about Paul is then we have all these letters from the rest of his life that he wrote to churches as he tries to make sense of this thing that happened to him. And he says, like in, in the letter that he wrote to a church in Ephesus, he says that what God does is that when we're dead inside, he reaches in and he makes us alive together with Jesus. Um, what's happened, like this is often called the, the conversion of Saul. You may have heard that word before, conversion. Um, I would actually say that in some ways this is a deconversion or this is like a deconstruction for Saul. His entire, like, he is so into God and so serious about God and so passionate about God that he is literally willing to kill people for opposing God. And he's celebrated for that. His entire way of being is centered around who is in and who is out. Who gets it and who doesn't get it? Who matters and who doesn't matter? Who is good and who is bad? And then Jesus shows up and literally blinds him. And from that moment, he has to deconstruct all of that. Because he realizes that he's the enemy. And that Jesus has come to him. Um, Some of us um, find ourselves in that place that we have grown up in a spiritual environment where there's a lot of words that get said about love and forgiveness and loving our enemies and transformation. But what we really feel most deeply is who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's good and who's bad. And if you're going to know Jesus, you are going to have to deconstruct that part of being. Because who he is, who Jesus is, is the one who loves his enemies and reaches inside in his love to transform them into friends. Paul, in a sense, deconverts from his way of living with God to receive a free gift from God. And the ultimate sign of the presence of Jesus is being able to follow him into loving your enemy. And to the person that is the most wrong, the most outside of the circle. Um, I I think that this this image of Saul being blinded on his way to kill Christians or carry them off to prison, blinded, he's helpless, he's complete, I mean, completely disoriented. And this man who he was coming to get is the one who goes to him and not just says something to him, lays his hands on him. And restores his sight. Um, Paul goes on to, to write in, in the book of Romans that um, I, I wrote this one down because it's a good one. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. 
That is what it means to know Jesus. Like, there had only been days or weeks since he had overseen this murderer, uh, this murder of Stephen. And now he's baptized and he stands up in the synagogue in Damascus and says, Jesus is the son of God. And this may, some of us may struggle with this because we say, you know, this is something that I actually really don't like about Christianity is like this guy did all this terrible stuff and then like suddenly he just gets to be new, like he just gets to be forgiven. Um, I'm really struck by what Jesus says to Ananias when he says, I'm going to show Saul how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus doesn't offer Saul or you or me some kind of like soft forgiveness that somehow just um, winks at the abuse that we commit or the violence that we cause and says, you know what? It's actually not that big of a deal. When we actually come to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, he leads us into places of deep grief and reconciliation and acknowledgement of all of those things. Paul is struck blind. His identity is completely lost. Um, he writes about this. I was talking about this with my girls. And they, they started laughing. They thought it was really funny. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about his life. He says, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Five different times he was whipped 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. <laughs> That's when they started laughing. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, in, ba- in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. And at the end of his life, Paul is beheaded for his life with Jesus. Um, for this man, he was at the top of his game. He was among the most respected of his religious group and of his community. He was brilliantly educated and he was on fire for God. And he lost all of that to know Jesus. And an- another of just the things that, that comes out of that is like, just the simple reality that you can be on fire for God. No doubt in your mind, the most consistent follower and supporter of the glory of God and be dead wrong about everything. And that would actually be a beautiful place to be before God. Paul writes in this letter to the church in Corinth, Later, he says, you know, you could prophesy, you can speak in tongues, you can have so much faith that it would literally move mountains, and you could care for the poor all day long, and if you have all that and you don't love, it doesn't matter at all. That there is something about this love of enemy and neighbor and Jesus that for, for Paul, that becomes everything to him. Uh, and, and it's worth us just, acknowledge, us just thinking, I can be on fire for God and be completely deceived about that. But the good news is uh, a few things. Paul's story shows us that like God can use any story. Um, he can use the story that seems like it can't possibly be redeemed. And he can use the story of just the ordinary, everyday 
simple life with God, that there is nothing in your experience, whether good or bad, that God can't use to draw you to himself and draw others to himself through you. Um, Also, knowing Jesus to Paul was worth losing anything. And uh, I touched on this last week, but I just want to come back to it for a second. Um, Many of us in the room have a bright future ahead of us. And we have a nagging suspicion that if we really follow Jesus and live this way of radical love for our enemies and love for those on the margins, that it will cost us part of that beautiful future. And that we won't actually be able to have everything we ever dreamed of and Jesus. Um, But knowing Jesus is worth losing anything. Saul lost his place in the world, everything he had ever worked for, his community, his reputation. And then when he becomes a Christian, they don't like him either. They're all like, you're the Bellatrix Lestrange in our Order of the Phoenix. And it takes them literally years to accept him as a follower of Jesus. Um, And he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which meant he was serious about his faith of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Um, I, I've told many of you guys a story, but I grew up with just my mom, just me and my mom. My dad wasn't in the picture. And um, when we were pregnant with our oldest daughter, we, my Sarah Jane was pregnant with our oldest daughter. Um, uh, I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit for that. And uh, she, my wife, Sarah Jane, uh, encouraged me to call my dad, who I hadn't spoken to in years, and to tell him that he was, should be expecting a, grand, a grandchild and to seek reconciliation with him. And he told me on that phone call, uh, you know, what happened with your mom is the biggest mistake of my life, and I wish it had never happened. Which is a way of saying, I wish that you didn't exist. And, uh, yeah, it hurt. Um, but then when I heard him say that, I, lo- I thought back on all the times I had heard my mother talk about what happened with my dad. And she had always said, you know, everything that happened with your dad, I mean, she was young. She was on her own. She had been terribly uh, abused and neglected as a child and didn't have what she needed to raise a child on her own. And she said, I would do it all over again because I got you and you were worth it. And for Saul, that is his relationship with Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is that it's exactly Jesus's relationship to Saul and to you. There's a passage that that says that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy that was before him. And the joy 
is us, is knowing us and having us. Anything you give up for Jesus is worth it, not because he's going to give you something better in return, but because of him. He somehow makes it all worth it. And lastly, and we'll, we'll stop on this, is that this transformation, this new life, this being set free from deciding who's in and who's out and who's good and who's bad, this being set free to love your enemy and to accept the love of Jesus to you as an enemy, this new life is a gift. The thing that you will find if you read anything that Paul wrote after this point is that he knew that life with God was a gift that you could never possibly earn, but that he gives for free. Uh, he, he writes in Romans chapter six that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. And the beautiful offer of that life is that there's nothing you can do to get it and there's nothing you can do to mess it up. Um, If you are longing like I am to be transformed from the inside out, um, Jesus is the one who can and who does do that transforming work. So I want to take a moment with you as we're sitting here to not move past these things, but to hold them before God. And uh, you, you may be a person who prays a lot. Uh, you may be a person that doesn't pray at all. Um, but I just want to take a moment to hold this before God. And say, um, Lord, how... Do you want to transform me? Lord, we acknowledge before you that we can't see unless you make the scales to fall for us. Lord, we can't reach inside and change the part that, that wants to destroy and kill and separate. We can't reach inside and just change that to loving and healing Lord, we want all kinds of things that are beautiful, um, but not as beautiful as life with you. And so, Lord, um, we want to be filled up with love, real love, not love that's just a good feeling, but love that actually would give of ourselves for someone else. Love that would count the loss of all things to be garbage for the the sake of knowing you and for loving others. So, Lord, would you invite us into that life that is secured by your life and your death and your resurrection, Lord Jesus. Um, Stir that in our hearts as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing one more song.